Welcome to As I Live and Grieve, a podcast that tells the truth about how hard this is. We're glad you joined us today. We know how hard it is to lose someone you love and how well-intentioned friends and family try so hard to comfort us. We created this podcast to provide you with comfort, knowledge, and support. We are grief advocates, not professionals, not licensed therapists. We are you. Hi, everyone, and welcome back again for yet another episode of As I Live and Grieve. I love that y'all keep coming back and listening. It just means so very, very much to me. And I know you are scattered around the world. That also means a lot to me. I tell you every time, and I really mean it, I have such great guests. And with me today is Henry Cameron Allen. Thanks so much for joining me, Henry. It's an honor. I'm so excited to meet you. Finally, oh. I've, I've heard about you. I've seen you around. I've listened to your podcast, and I'm just oh, uh, thank you, thank really you. Really honored to be here. Well, thanks. It's just my absolute pleasure. I you popped up to the list of must have guests uh. when I read a re- recent article about grief paralysis that you wrote. Uh, it may have been for your blog. I'm not sure, but. Um, before I jump ahead with questions, because I'm so mm-hmm. eager to talk with you, yep. would you just give our listeners a little bit of your background? Yes. Well, in 2006, my son Cameron was diagnosed with brain cancer that is oh. typically only found in men over 45, but he was 11. Was and it a glioblastoma? Yeah, a form of glioblastoma. It was anaplastic astrocytoma. Okay. And right. anaplastic means that it grows very, very fast. Yes. And astrocytoma, toma is tumor, and mm-hmm. astrocytes are these star-shaped cells that yes. have these tendrils that sort of grab onto everything around them, which mm-hmm. propagates their growth even faster. Yep. And so time's of the essence, you know, to, to try and, and And what I found, uh, he lived twice as long as they thought. Oh, that that's wonderful. Uh, yeah. It was. I'm really grateful for it. I'm a cancer survivor myself, different kind. And what I found was that since he could understand language, Cameron knew that Papa was a survivor. And when he received his diagnosis, it eliminated any fear, anxiety, depression, rage that he was certainly entitled to have around his situation at his age. He knowing that that I was there on the journey with him, and mm. I was able to be there on that journey with him in a very unique and special way, definitely um, for both of us. And so I I can only be grateful. So whilst he was still alive, we founded the Brain Candy Project, which came okay. out of our time living in the hospitals off and on for two years, right? And including the Mayo Clinic and and. University of Minnesota Children's Hospital, where we were living, mm-hmm. and so grateful for having hospitals of that caliber where we lived, so we didn't mm-hmm. have to leave our communities. And Cameron saw our community being at my elbow, whatever I needed, whether it was food right. or clean clothes or whatever. Right. And right. so the Brain Candy Project was sort of his idea to to serve those families that were coming from long distances to step up as their community while they're far away from home. Right. Oh, um, nice. He said, you think of eye candy as being something that's easy on your eyes. Brain mm-hmm. candy relieves the minds of these parents. So Absolutely. all they have to do is focus on the well-being of their child. 
And that's the way it should be. That's the way it should be. And, you know, there are some hospitals that do it brilliantly. They they care care for their caregivers, Mm -hmm. right? The parents or the caregivers of their patients. But I would venture to say, in my experience, most American hospitals fall way short of what's really necessary. For over a year, I slept on the floor on a towel, you know, next to his bed because there was no accommodation, even at world-class hospitals. And so... Mm -hmm. You know, we wanted to to remove the stones out of the paths of people coming up behind us. And long story short, after Cameron transitioned in 2008, he was 13 by then. Mm-hmm. I had kind of an existential crisis where I thought, you know, I was a single father. He was my only child. Who am I now if not a parent? Every choice that we make, the house we live in, the food that we buy, even down to the roll of toilet paper. We're thinking of our child first, their yes. education, everything else. And so when that's plucked out of the equation, who are we now? And I had kind of a, a mystical experience a few weeks after he passed. I had to get out of town and go on a road trip because I couldn't go to the market without somebody falling apart in my arms. Mm-hmm. Right. And I had to hold them through their grief, he was beloved in our community at large. And I had to hold everyone else through their grief. And I didn't even get to address my own or know how to navigate that, what I call the zero dimension of grief, which is like the big bang, you know, I mean, everything changes and Mm -hmm. starts a momentum that you can't control. And it's all chaos and numbness, you know? And so I went on a road trip to the Grand Canyon because I, it was the closest place that I could get my scale back. I had been a superhero for two years and I needed to feel my smallness again. I needed to get back to who was I and the humility of that. And the Grand Canyon, I don't know if you've ever been there, but it's, you know, it's bigger than anybody can imagine who hasn't been there. And so, you know, that there are these long stretches, right, Kathy, of like 70 miles, no gas before you ever get to the Canyon. Mm -hmm. Like you got to fill up. Otherwise, you're going to break down and there's no civilization anywhere. It's all desert. And it was middle of the night. And it was just the headlights on the road, sky full of stars, and inky black everywhere else. But there was a bright light on the horizon. It was about three in the morning. I needed a cup of coffee or something to keep going. And I didn't know if that light was a star or if it was a gas station. (laughs) But I made for it. And I arrived and it was this hundred foot tall lamppost. And in the beam, there were these three buildings. One was a small motel. One was an indigenous trading post. And the other one was a post office. Nothing else for miles and miles around, but it had its own zip code. And I looked up at the post office and wouldn't you know, it was Cameron, Arizona. My. And (laughs) I know, a Twilight Zone moment, right? So that was really the beginning of my journey and and a long series of signs and signposts for me on this this journey. And so I caught 40 winks in the motel, woke up the next morning, and there was, I think she was a Zuni tribe elder sitting on her blanket selling jewelry. I bought a ring from her. This is my Cameron, Arizona ring. And I asked if I could sit with her and ask her a question. This actually is leading to the core of our conversation today. I'm enthralled. (laughs) Because she obviously had wisdom. I mean, we've all seen the paintings Mm -hmm. of the the sage with the long silver hair and the leather skin and the slit eyes. And you could tell she had had wisdom. 
And I asked her if I could sit with her and she said, yes. And she, and I said, uh, you know, I lost my son a few months ago to brain cancer. He was my only child. I was a single father. And I've looked in every language around the world. I've left no stone unturned looking for a way to identify like widow or orphan. There's <laughs> never been a word to identify, right? If you have lost a partner, God, and someone says, oh, are you married? You can say, oh, I'm a widow. Enough said. You don't have to go into it unless you want to. No. If you're an orphan, same deal. But for those of us who have outlived our children, and I'm deliberately not using the word loss anymore, and we'll get mm -hmm. to that, we have to crack our chests wide open, pour our most sacred personal pain out on the table for everyone to try and make sense of when there is no sense to be made of it. But we have to share that at large with everybody because we don't have a word. So fast forward a number of years, the Brain Candy Project went on. It, it was moderately successful only because I had trouble finding volunteers and I was carrying the whole thing on my shoulders. But we established a permanent endowment in Cameron's name the Brain Candy Endowment at the University of Minnesota Children's Very Hospital nice. in perpetuity that pays for parking fees, that helps bring them, you know, because the, if they're halal or kosher, the, the hospital's not going to sure. support the parents. They're there to support their patients. So it takes care of all the basic needs of families that are coming from far away who don't have an immediate community. Mm -hmm. So fast forward. I moved away. I was in Minneapolis at the time. I moved to Gloucester, Massachusetts, and I started a folkloric theater company there. It's called the Folklore Theater Company. And and I, I continued with the Brain Candy Project. I continued having an annual event on what I call Cameron's Feast, his birthday, April 16th, where everyone in the world lights a candle, has a great meal, and thinks about the fragility of life and the mysteries of mm -hmm the afterlife if, if you believe in one and 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 just sort of reflects on Cameron and uh, mm -hmm. it's a beautiful event and it was a fundraiser for the Brain Candy Project for a time but it really wasn't about that it was really about honoring him and right. and so I still do that every year I my journey led me to Europe where I've been living for the past five years and I was in the UK and if you're American in Europe in the majority of Europe you can stay for three months and then you have to leave the country you're in, but then you can turn around and come back for another three months, or at least that's what was in the UK. And I went to Belgium and I got to the train station from London into Brussels and I had to change trains. I was going to the coast and they put me on the wrong train. I ended up in Germany. I got off the train and I said, where's Blankenberg? And they said, oh, that's way over on the other side of the country. I don't know why you're here in Germany. I said, no, I'll, here's my ticket. And they said, oh, they gave you the wrong ticket. So I said, is there a train from here to there? No, you have to go back to Brussels. So I went back to Ooh. Brussels. And the ticket agent was sitting there smoking, which they still do in Europe, <laughs> and behind the glass. And she looked at my ticket and she looked at me. She took a big drag off her cigarette and her best Marlena Dietrich accent she said, <laughs> You are a lost traveler. Oh, all the yeah. pieces are coming together. Right? <laughs> That's why it's important to tell the story. Yeah. I almost fell on the floor sobbing because it was the first right. time I had ever heard anyone outside of myself describe what it feels like to be a parent who's outlived a child, wandering right. the earth, trying to find your direction, trying to find your purpose. 
And that's where the Brain Candy Project turned into the Lost Travelers Club, right? We all hear that this is the club that nobody wants to belong to. This is the, (laughs) you know, the one that no one should, right? But we're here, but we're here. So we might as well have a club. And Mm -hmm. this isn't, this isn't a healing organization, the Lost Travelers Club, because there really is no healing from this. It's an empowerment organization that brings parents who have survived their children together to channel our grief into goodness, to do projects together that gives us a renewed sense of purpose and strength mm-hmm. and power in the world, that we get to step back out into the world amongst other people who get it. Right. That's a really important thing for me at this stage of my life, right? The Brain Candy Project, when I was involved with hospitals, I sat on parent boards of hospitals, you know, advisory boards for pediatric uh, critical and terminal illnesses, things like that, mm-hmm. which was an honor and it was a great journey. But then my, my life went on mm-hmm. and I was in a different place and I was traveling. And Marlena Dietrich told me that I was a lost traveler, right? So Love I it. felt that that was something that people might resonate with. And our first tagline was parents of child loss getting there together. But then I started to reflect on the fact that we didn't lose our kids. We know precisely where they are. They're not a set of keys or a favorite scarf. We know right where they are. They're right here in our heart. They live Mm -hmm. inside us now instead of outside our bodies, Mm -hmm. right? They're working through us. They're living through us. People get to meet them through us. And Mm -hmm. so to be that face in the world, which is particularly hard for men, to be honest, there's still a great stigma about men's grief, a great stigma Mm -hmm. around paternal grief, Mm -hmm. and also mental health in Mm -hmm. general, but specifically with men. So, so that's sort of that, that's how the language started changing. And that's how we got to the Lost Travelers Club. (laughs) So, Henry, I have to say, listening to your story, I just fell in love. I fell in love with the word peregrine. I fell in love with lost travelers. I fell in love with the entire story. And man, that needs to be communicated out there for many, many reasons. I I guess maybe I qualify, Absolutely you qualify. as a peregrine Absolutely. myself because I lost an infant. He was very, very ill when he was born. Actually, first they told me he was stillborn. And then they came back and said he was alive, had a heartbeat. But they whisked him away to another facility. I never saw him. Um, No one ever took a picture of him. I never held him or touched him. So sometimes because of that, I find myself forgetting that I have that other child. And... Lately, with doing the podcast and everything, I think I'm going through that grieving process all over again, because now I I realize and I absolutely and I 100%, recognize, and you that are a peregrine. He still counts. Full, you know, full still fledged. Counts. But and 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 I'll 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 give you this the the quick story about peregrine and where that came from as well, because I've been on okay. a quest to find the language because. Well, and the Zuni woman said to me, because mm-hmm. uh, I asked her to go That's back. That's what it sounds her, like. Which was very pivotal, that whole experience. I asked her if there was anything mm-hmm. in her language that described a parent who has outlived a child. And she said, you know, maybe there's no word for it because right. it's too profound a loss for a mere word to describe. And I thought that was the, the most eloquent way I'd ever heard. She said, but in Absolutely. my culture, your name would change. Because yeah. your name is the expression of your identity. And when you've outlived a child, 
Hmm. And that was the way she put it, outliving a child. She didn't say loss. And I really loved that. She said, when when a person has outlived a child, your identity Mm -hmm. changes. And therefore, in our culture, the expression of your identity must change. And so I might call you, for instance, Henry, whose son is gone. And I would introduce you to new people as this is my friend, Henry, whose son is gone. When you're not in the room, they would say, oh, I saw Henry, whose son is gone at the market today. Even when they think about you, they're thinking about you in terms of your own, your new identity. So that everyone who's aware of you, isn't it? Everyone who's aware of you, everyone who thinks about you is holding you in your grief journey. And I thought that is so beautiful. And yet... Uh. It doesn't quite fit into the global lexicon. I'm not, I don't want to go around introducing myself as Henry, whose son is gone. Nice to meet you. I don't want that on my business. Right. Which is why I hyphenated his name with mine because I understand. Henry Cameron keeps his name in the world because Mm -hmm. when we have outlived a child, we rarely hear their name spoken Mm -hmm. again, even from family Mm -hmm. members sometimes. And we long to hear mm-hmm. their names and validation that they were here and, and affirmation and honor of their lives. The hyphen also bonds us together as, as a unit. We're still a great team, as we always were. And it's also a mathematical equation. It's Henry minus Cameron. It's Henry Absolutely. In the physical sense. So it worked. It worked for me for a long time. Oh, my gosh. But it Never, it wasn't a universal solution that I was looking for, for all of us. Mm-hmm. And I had a dream a few weeks ago. This is only a couple months ago. Mm-hmm. And my dreams are very productive. I had this dream where a peregrine falcon swooped down out of the sky and said to me, it's time. That's all it said. And I woke up and I knew exactly what it meant. It meant, here is our word, peregrine. It's time. It's neither masculine or feminine. The peregrine falcon is native to every continent on the globe except Antarctica. So it's a recognizable symbol universally. In most cultures, it represents resilience, Mm -hmm. courage, and strength. And when you go back to the Latin root of the word, you're going to love this. It means a stranger in a field or a lost traveler. It also means a pilgrim on a sacred journey. In fact, here Mm -hmm. where I live in Spain, the word for pilgrim is peregrino, mm-hmm. right? So it, it ticked all the boxes. And if you go to the website, mm-hmm. there's a whole page about the history of the word and different uses and why it works. And so I thought that's the word. And the more we use it for ourselves, for one another, the more we talk about it. I would love to see within mm-hmm. 10 years, I would love to see us opening a dictionary and next to the word, finding our definition there as well. Briefly, I want to talk about grief paralysis, although I'm really stuck on Peregrine. You're going to have to come back. We're going to have to do more on this. But grief paralysis, now I've always heard phrases where people say, oh, you kind of feel like you're paralyzed and everything. But I've never heard the phrase grief paralysis. So can you explain to our listeners a little bit about what you specifically mean for you? You know, I recently got my diploma in, in certification in international grief and bereavement counseling. I'm calling it grief and survival. Bereavement is another word that I just can't relate to. I don't like it. A lot of people, but it's also, you know, I don't use it because we have other organizations. Never like that. And I don't want to steal anybody's thunder. I mean, we're all important. We're all here for different stages of the journey. 
But what I what I experienced Mm -hmm. early on in my journey was that there are different dimensions of grief, even on a quantum level. I've been able to identify 12. And Mm -hmm. I know, and I'm working on right now, I'm working on a a short video series, 13 part, five minute video series called Quantum Grief that will have an accompanying journal for e- that that you could you know follow with each episode and write your own experience and that's in the wow. works now through the lost travelers mm-hmm. club but in becoming nice. uh, an internationally certified counselor of course i'm looking for the best ways that i can be a helper and i can help remove the stones as i say out of out of the paths of those coming up and in my experience early on i was mm-hmm. diagnosed with ptsd i think that's a very important part of this conversation because many of us are walking around with PTSD Mm -hmm. symptoms without being diagnosed, without knowing what the heck is going on in me. Why do I feel like someone's going to jump on me from behind the line in the Mm -hmm. grocery store, you know, anything. And so one of the the triggers uh, for me or, or the result of a trigger for me is sleep paralysis. And a lot of people don't know much about sleep paralysis, mm-hmm. but it's it's when you're in a deep stages of sleep, you're dreaming, and yeah. you know when you're coming awake. You know when it's time to open your eyes. You sense that the, the sun is coming up and you know it's time mm-hmm. to wake up. Right. Your body wants to wake up. You're aware and awake mm-hmm. in your dream state. You're lucid dreaming. That's what it's called. But you can't even wiggle your toe, let alone open up your eyes. And you're in a complete mm-hmm. state of physical paralysis and you can't break through. The first time it happened, I thought I was wow. either dead, in a coma, having a stroke. I didn't know what to think. I wasn't in any kind of a threatening situation. I was totally in control. I mean, it was my dream after all, right? You're fully in control of your dreams. But I couldn't break out of it for hours. Mm-hmm. And then finally I did. And I was really petrified. And then it happened again. And at key points, key milestones throughout the year, as we all know, birthdays, holidays, school starting, you know, mm-hmm. Tuesday. I mean, it could happen any time, right? And it started to happen more often <laughs> around right. these milestone days. And I realized that it was actually my body's way of protecting me from waking world triggers. It was so that I was not allowed to move in the world and put myself at mm-hmm. risk and vulnerable, you know, vulnerability for, to these triggers. My body was mm-hmm. keeping me in a state of paralysis mm-hmm. as a way to protect me and give me full control. And very often these productive dreams that I have, like quantum grief and like the peregrine, they right. happen when I'm in a state of sleep paralysis. And so in exploring the causes of, of sleep okay. paralysis and the causes of PTSD navigation. How do you get through those triggers? The term grief paralysis came up for me because as I'm exploring mm-hmm. these different quantum dimensions of grief, it became clear to me that there's a very, very big difference between mourning and grieving. There's a very thin membrane between the two. But mourning is like that dimension Mm -hmm. zero I talked about. It's like the big bang, Mm -hmm. right? You're numb. You can't feel anything. All you can do is sit in it. So mourning is a temporary passive state that you can do nothing, nothing Mm -hmm. with. Grieving, on the other hand, is a permanent and active state. You can do something with your grief. You can channel it into other things. 
yes. culturally healthy things. And so yes. that state of stagnation mm -hmm. that a lot of people feel, that vortex where they cannot break out of their mourning state, that is grief paralysis mm -hmm. for me. That is where you can, you're trying to see your way out. You're trying to find a way to break through. You're, you're reading everything from the five stages of grief to listening to so-and-so's mother-in-law to, you know, the lady at the ticket booth at the theater, you know. I mean, you're, you're, mm -hmm. you're grasping at straws trying to way to break through. Right. And so when right. you're in a state of grief paralysis is when you cannot break through. And so I feel like if we start talking about it in those terms, not only does it infer, which I believe is true, that it is possible to break through that membrane between mourning and grieving, but to move through the rest of these mm -hmm. 12 dimensions of grieving uh, at different stages mm -hmm. over time. It is, I, I thank you. And mm -hmm. I think it's very fascinating, fascinating. very important a uh, conversation that nobody seems to be having. I'm doing my homework. I'm not finding anybody talking about it in these terms. And so. It's, it's very interesting because I have had many conversations with people trying to find out from them. Well, for me, there was a particular point after my husband died when I remember getting up in the morning and just all of a sudden <laughs> feeling like I should just slump back down on the sofa. Yep. That's, that's all I felt I could do. Uh, you know, it was just too, it was just too much to get up and stay up. And then I remember an, an aching, aching, aching feeling in my heart. And at the same time, my brain was thinking, I don't want to live like this mm -hmm. for the rest of my life. I can't live like this for the rest of my life. And that for me was kind of a turning point. Then I started to really be far more motivated to do something different. And that's how I kind of moved forward in a different direction. Instead of, it sounds like what you're saying is that the grief paralysis that I may have been stuck in. So whether that was breaking through the membrane for me or not, I don't know. But I've had conversations with other people. Have you experienced this? And no, <laughs> no. Well, what was different for you? Is things Are things different now? Yes. When did it change? What was well, that's your why I point? want to accompany the series to the journal be able to identify so that we can really personalize there are as many ways of grieving yeah. as there are grievers. There is no cookie right. cutter five step program, you know, or Absolutely. stages that are in order. There's no order to it no. at all. It's like the, that's like, well, and that's what the quantum picture looks like. And it's there's no timeline either. And yet, knowing that right. on some level, one thing affects another. And when you talk yeah. about you know, that do or die situation. I cannot go on right. like this. This yeah. is what leads a lot of people into a state mm -hmm. of despair. They fall into yeah. the abyss fully and there's no coming back. Yeah. Instead of coming out, it's it's like there's this precise moment that, and, and I had to have been my heart and my brain working in synchronicity, I suppose, because they both at the same moment said, okay, let's do this. You said you don't want to, you don't want to go back. Then 
let's go forward. So whatever it is, but it's just a fascinating thing. And gosh, I don't, I don't know what kind of science there might be tied around it either. But <laughs> at any know. rate, um, like gosh, I'm so sad to have to say this, Henry, but our time is, is running out. So this, I know that's why I say you're going to have to come back. Cause we're maybe, maybe we yeah. can talk about this moment, this membrane and breaking through or something. I don't know. Somehow I sense that we would never have Anytime our paths happen to cross, we will never fail to have something to talk about. But but before I wind down and before I say goodbye to all our listeners, I traditionally will turn the microphone over to my guest and just say, now is your chance to talk directly to my listeners. Let them know what you are doing, how they can support you. Give them your website information. Tell them about the projects you're working on, any way they can support you. And as well, in our podcast notes, we will have your Thank contact you, information. Well, as the well. first thing so is go the microphone's to lostdravelers.club. Right yeah, this is the club that nobody should have to belong to, but we're here. And we might as well belong to a club and do some good in the world in memory and in honor of our children. Let them work through us. To, to give them a legacy, to keep their names in the world and keep us connected to our children. I think that a part of this is, and, and it's not just about children, it's about our loved ones, it's about our partners and our, you know, parents and, and pets even that, that you sure. know, anyone close to us, that this is a, not a loss, this is a transformation. And to be open to the idea that our children are not lost to us they're just in a different form. This is proven by physics. We know this. Energy can't be created or destroyed. It just changes form, right? right. So it's up to us who are left behind to figure out what the form is. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the kind of thing we, we talk about at the Lost Travelers Club. We are planning retreats, travel excursions now that the world has opened up after COVID. I live here in Spain and I have a beautiful four-bedroom house. Come. You know, let's have, let's, let's seriously do. I, you're, mi casa oh my gosh, casa. don't tell me that. We, I love um, to travel. We have recently started a <laughs> fellowship of fathers that deals specifically oh. with father's grief. And we've started an LTC, Lost Travelers Club, Paracrine Dadcast that launches every Tuesday on YouTube, on our YouTube channel. So look for the LTC Peregrine Dadcast. We are also preparing to have a oh, mama ship circle in the same way where we're not, we're not a sit around and weep and mourn group. We are a let's work together to create good in the world. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about our grief publicly. Let's give other people tools, be helpers in the world. Right. And, and speak openly and honestly, break the stigma mm-hmm. of grieving. Right. It's nothing that anybody wants to think about, but if we Absolutely. can do it in a way that is interesting and fun, not that grief right. is fun, but there mm-hmm. are, but there are the lighter moments of grief that you will mm-hmm. find no. throughout your journey that you will find yes. that this whole time you've had wings, yes. peregrines. You've had wings this whole time. And every time you laugh, your child is laughing through you. And, and to tap into that and to live that as your grief journey, it takes the human imagination to imagine the way you want to grieve for the rest of your life. So start imagining, start picturing the you later 
that you want to be 10, 20 years from now in your grief journey and start to manifest that. And you're not alone. There are thousands, millions of us around the world who have outlived our kids. And some are veteran peregrines. Some are new peregrines. There are siblings that need care and holding in their grief journey, which we call IAS, E-Y-A-S, which is a nestling. It's, it's, a, it's a young peregrine that has outlived their sibling. There are grandparents as well. And as you say, people who have outlived their children early on who never got to hold them or even see them or, you know, spend time in their, in their, you know, there are, there are children who are, you know, who pass in utero. There are children who are miscarried. Those all matter. They all count. The journey of peregrine grandparents also matters and is almost uh, totally un, unspoken about and unheld. So, so the Lost Travelers Club does focus mostly on peregrines, on the parents, but it also has a ripple effect. And there are programs in the works for all of us. I encourage everyone to go to the website. There's a self-survey for PTSD, a self-evaluation. You cannot diagnose yourself. Only a, a mental health professional can do that. But you can assess the level of PTSD that you may be living with and say, oh, yeah, that's what that is. I need to go fix it. Because there are tools available to us that have been diagnosed that are not available to others to be able to cope. There's no healing from this, but there is coping and there is enduring, right? I have a service dog that helps mitigate my PTSD symptoms. He's brilliant and you, and you would qualify. So I encourage everybody to go and get evaluated and, and diagnosed. Kathy, I hope you will. I hope you'll become a member, become a member, sign up to be a member. And we are also looking for volunteers and intern, you know, people to help with grant writing, people to help with fundraising, awareness building, you know, to, to help coordinate retreats here in Spain or wherever. So if you are a peregrine who's looking for purpose, call me. I have a new title. I have a new title you are. to add for myself that I'm a peregrine. Welcome to the club. I'm, I'm going to have to <laughs> absorb that. There, there, again, there's so much. But listeners, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Listeners, I hope that you have not only enjoyed what Henry has talked about today, but for those of you who may be peregrines yourselves, I hope this gives you a new place to go look for some support, some fellowship, some education, and just some camaraderie because peregrines get it and I don't believe it was ever intended that we outlive our children. Uh, it's to me, that's one of the cruelest pieces of fate. So all that being said, I talk about self-care a lot. I'm yeah. going to go have to give myself a little self-care now and I will do that. But everyone, please thank you for being here and we'll catch you again next week as we all continue to live in grief. Thank you so much for listening with us today. Do you have a topic that you'd like us to cover or do you have a question from one of our episodes? Please email us at info at asiliveandgrieve.com and let us know. We hope you will find a moment to leave a review, send an email, and share with others. Join us next time as we continue to live and grieve together.